and welcome to another fortnightly episode of War Starts at Midnight. I'm Chris Gallagher. And I'm Jacob Graves. On today's show, we've got a review of Jordan Peele's psycho-suspense thriller, Get Out. Followed by the Midnight Warrior Fantasy Movie League End of Season Fantasy Movie Roundup and Award Ceremony for Award Season. Whew, it's a mouthful. And finally, we'll wrap the show as we always do with some really rad recommendations. But first... So I, I thought it would be fun. I know we're, we are reviewing Get Out on this episode, but on the previous episode, we had promised a review of Logan, the final Hugh Jackman Wolverine movie. I was unable to make it out to Logan to see it, to review it. But Jake, you did. Could you uh, tell us a little bit about what you thought about it? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad we're reviewing Get Out because I have a ton of things to say about it. Logan, I hadn't, I haven't really seen many X Men movies. I saw the Wolverine Origins and I saw Days of Future Past, and that's about it. And I, I wanted to prepare this last week, so I rented Days of Future Past. That's actually I saw for the first time this last week. I read the Old Man Logan comic. I got all ready to go and see it. I went and saw it. <laughs> the, 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 the this, the projector was kind of out of focus, and it maybe ruined the whole experience for me. I never bought in 100% to it. I thought it was good. I thought it avoided a lot of traps of traditional uh, comic book movies, and I liked the scale and all that. I, I just don't think it's going to be, for me, a movie where I'm like, oh, I love this. This was this was just fantastic and a high water mark since The Dark Knight, because I, I didn't even think it was better than Civil War. Ooh. Okay, I really, is, I really like Civil I mean, War because I feel but, like I feel like everyone is saying that Logan is sort of the the next great. Like if you know, if Deadpool proved that you can do a rated R movie, then people seem to be saying that Logan is the like this is what you can actually do with it. That's not just like fart jokes and really crude humor. Look, I could be biased because I did the Oscar week thing where I bought the pass where I could go and see all the Oscar movies, and then I saw Get Out. And at home, I watched Everybody Wants Some. So I had just come off this a string of like eight really good films mm-hmm. that I watched. Oh, and also Sausage Party. And then <laughs> I went and saw this, and it was good, but it wasn't just great like those other ones I had seen. And maybe my brain wasn't ready to like compare it to all the superhero movies I had seen. It was comparing it to all the films I had just seen. And it makes it much harder for me to say, oh, it's a great film. When it, it may be one of the better superhero movies I've ever seen. So are you declaring that Sausage Party was in fact better than Logan? Is that what I just heard? Oh no, I never said don't <laughs> don't 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 you don't you put that mojo on me. Well, okay. I, I'm a little disappointed that you're what would you say, lukewarm? A little a little more than that. You're it was good yeah, but not a, great. A little that... a little more than lukewarm. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not saying avoid it. Yeah, I because I, I still I still really want to see it. I just I don't know what I'm going to be able to get out to see it. In the theater, at least. Well, I I really want you to get out and see it because I really want to have somebody to just uh, tell me I'm wrong about this. I, I want to know why I'm wrong. Find me on Twitter and tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you actually, Jake, if I'm not mistaken, you you told me that the other day and you said you just wanted someone to tell you you're wrong. And then I pointed you in the direction of uh, Ryan Johnson, who was tweeting at Jeff Mangold saying how great Logan was. So did you did you engage in a conversation with him? Tell him how wrong he is. No, was. and I'm not seeing the stupid Star Trek movie or whatever it is he's doing next now, just because he disagrees <laughs> with me. I'm not seeing it. That's it. I, 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 it's a Galaxy Quest reboot. Is that right? Okay, actually, I'm back in. If it's Galaxy okay. Quest, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, those are Jake's brief thoughts on Logan. If I see it in the future, uh, maybe I will uh, bring my own to the show and maybe bring some rationale to this, uh, uh, to this not hate, but not love of, of Logan. But for right now, we've got to transition into our review of Jordan Peele's Get Out. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know? Mom and Dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked that he's a black man. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> <laughs> Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. You ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how are you not scared of this, man? Good to see another brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Yo! Rose, we gotta go. Is everything okay? Rose, the keys. Just get the keys. I don't know where they are. Rose! Jordan Peele's probably most recognizable as half the sketch comedy duo Key and Peele. After their Comedy Central show ended on a high note in 2015, Peele and partner Keegan-Michael Key made a run of the big screen with starring roles in last year's Keanu, a buddy cop action comedy farce about a couple of suburban men who go looking for their adorable lost kitten and get themselves in deep with a crew of murderous Los Angeles drug dealers. The television show and Keanu, both of which Jordan Peele had a hand in writing, exhibit his adaptability to transpose personal observations about identity into digestible genre trappings for a mass audience. Yet I'm not sure anyone was prepared for what he had planned next. For Peel's directorial debut, Get Out, he stepped to the back of the camera and away from his comfortable realm of comedy to produce a psychological thriller about racial identity in the 21st century. Peel minds his own personal fears and experiences as a middle-class black man and siphons them into the familiar folk horror subgenre. But this isn't a sloppy slasher revolving around blatant bigotry. Get Out focuses its energy on a sharp and poignant critique of those who comfortably declared that we're living in a post-racial America after simply electing a black president. Peel is in fact analyzing the actions of those who would proudly claim to be his greatest ally. A bold stance that's actually paid off quite well with critics and audiences alike. At the time of recording this episode, Get Out holds a 99% on the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter with just one detractor, infamous troll and film critic Armand White. Upon reading his review, I think he mistook this as an attempt at comedy the same way Jake mistook The Lobster as not a comedy. Ah. And with that, Jake, I'm curious. Are you part of the 99% who loved this film? Or like the world's greatest professional movie troll, do you lament the fact that Get Out simply can't stand up to the recent Eddie Murphy classics such as The Clumps, Norbit, Meet Dave, and A Thousand Words, the last of which literally has a 0% on Rotten Tomatoes? And furthermore... Just how unprepared were you for the comedic revelation that is Lil Rel Howry? So unprepared. So, so incredibly unprepared. He's, he's great, right? Man, that was, he was really great. And people who call this a comedy, yes, yes, it's a comedy, but. Is it though? I see. I I think I think to declare it a comedy. I think people are. I'll, I think people are quick to declare it a comedy because of who Keegan Michael Key, or I'm sorry, because of who Jordan Peele is. 
um, and yes. because of the work that he's done. It's I, I mean, I think it's a straight genre picture that has comedic relief in it because you need comedic relief from the tension. I was going to say it, it is a comedy when he's on screen, when Lil Rel okay. Powery is on screen. Yeah, like that little movie, if you took all that out, that's a comedy because that's almost I don't want to say Armin White is right about it being a sketch or whatever, but that is the sketch most inspired part about it is like you could almost do a sketch just from this character's perspective. It's right. like, oh, my my friend is and be like, oh, no, you got to get out of there like that could be a sketch but inside of this it's not it it works as part of the film and it works because all of these characters feel like real characters and that's what you would do if your friend called you with something like that you wouldn't think it was real at first until he disappeared but that's the jokes you would be making yeah and and that's i love i love how he kind of the entire run of it especially as things get deeper and deeper he has this idea that it's he's been abducted into a sex cult and that's, you know, he just he just keeps running with it. At one point, uh, I think he tells Chris, the the main character here, played by uh, Daniel Kalua, uh, that he, he thinks he's in some sort of eyes wide shut situation, <laughs> which which got a lot of laughs from our theater. Yeah. But and uh, and I, I think you are right in like if it was you, you could absolutely just make a sketch that is just like the absurdity from his perspective. But I think what what is so good about his function in, in this is it's a pretty tense movie. It's a pretty like like there's there's a lot of things that are just like, oh, my God, I cannot believe I cannot believe this is happening. And he's the release valve. Like mm-hmm. every every well, he, time when you're like, it's I, getting a little too weird. It's getting a little too like just itchy. He comes on and he, 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 you know, allows you to like get a little more comfortable so you can go even deeper into the, the weirdness. So, so the thing, the thing I liked is Chris is a very normal character. He's very relatable and he's in this weird situation, but we never quite feel like it's a David Lynch film or something like that Mm -hmm. because he calls Rod. Yeah. He calls him and we get an outsider's perspective who confirms what we're confirming that this stuff is weird. But <laughs> yeah. strangely, it's those jokes that make this world feel so real and not like a surreal film. We're not questioning is the film stylizing or showing this to be more surreal because it is grounded in such a, a, a real world thing. Mm-hmm. Thanks to to Rod. Well, and I think it's also he is very intentionally sort of playing with classic horror tropes and and showing them to you in a way that like, at least as I was seeing, like uh, early on when they're his, I, I think Rose, who played here by Allison Williams, um, her father is showing Chris around the house and says, oh, that's the door to the basement. We sealed it up because of black mold. Like obviously you're thinking, Oh, horror movie. Like obviously think bad things are going to happen there. And obviously things do, but it's not, it's never used as an easy, like, okay, now, now we find out that there's bad thing. Like it, it all sort of, it all feels like it organically um, sort of comes up or like when they, so they, they hit the, and I think this is in the trailer. They, they hit a deer on the way in and it's, it's actually a really nice uh, effective jump scare. I think um, the way that they, you know, it goes from just sort of small talk flirting to bam, you know, they, they hit this deer loud, uh, but they're telling her parents about it. Her, her mother played here by Catherine Keener, her dad played by uh, really extremely well by Bradley Whitford. Um, and her dad says something to the effect of, you know, like I, I hate 
you know, I hate those deer. The, the more you can, the more you can kill, the more you can get them off the road, the better. Like it feels almost like it's, it's this, you know, because, because we're expecting, you know, some sort of racial tension. It feels like a, um, set up to what's coming next. And you never get that because that's not the, that's not the, he doesn't take the obvious easy angle. Look, not a line is wasted in this script though. That, that, line serves just to heighten everything that's going on you are in chris's shoes and everything that's happening you're looking for that ulterior motive exactly well and and that's exactly like you as the audience are you're expecting it this is one of the tightest scripts i I think i've ever watched on screen Mm -hmm. it's to the level of like an edgar wright movie in my mind where nothing is wasted everything refers to something or builds to some it it is super super tight I, i spent a you know, four or five days after it, thinking back on different lines, going, oh, my God, that's what they meant. Oh, man, that's that's what that was. But it all builds in a like instead of the obvious where it's just like, oh, we set up this and then we have a payoff. It's he sets something up and then over the course of a few more connections like it, it zigs and zags before it gets to the payoff. So it, it every line is doing double duty. Yeah. It's moving the scene forward. Yeah. It's conveying information. It's foreshadowing and then when you go back and look at it again it told you what was going to happen or further informs what was going on mm-hmm. there there's throwaway lines that i'm going to wait until after we roll spoilers before we do that well will you we can get spoilers in just a moment there's there's one or two other things i want to sort of discuss uh before that okay. though so so hold those hold on to those those lines those thoughts um i i love the way that from the beginning Um, he really sets up without, and it's not heavy handed. It's not, um, you know, it's not trying to preach to you in any way, but he sets up sort of this, you know, it's an observation of sort of the, the two worlds that, uh, you live in as, as a white person and a black person. This is not to be, you know, divisive in any way. This is just to say like, this is the, you, you have to always be on guard. Um, so, I mean, from, you know, the first 10 minutes or so when after they, they hit the deer and that uh, interaction with the cop. Sir, can I see your license, please? Wait, why? Yeah, I have state ID. No, no, no. He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Yeah, why? That doesn't make any sense. Here. You don't have to give him your ID because you haven't done anything wrong. Maybe, baby, it's okay. Come on. Anytime there is an incident, we have every right to That's ask. Cold. Ma'am, the... Everything all right, Ryan? Yeah, I'm good. Get that headlight fixed. And that mirror. Thank you, officer. You know, just the dichotomy between... Uh, Allison Williams character Rose being like after the cop asked for his license, she, she gets all indignant and says, Oh, why do you need to see his license? He wasn't driving the car. And Chris is just like, he's compliant. He's just like, no, it's fine. It's, it, it's totally cool. Uh, I like, and, and you get, you get a lot of that. You get that throughout in, in several ways. Um, and first this movie is, it came out at the perfect time. We are all aware of, you know, the recent interactions between law enforcement and, you know, the black community. And so we are seeing it through Chris's eyes with the, well, how about we just do everything that this cop asked us to do, Rose? 
How about we show them my license, Rose? Yeah. Well, and but that's the it. I, I think it does a great and honestly, even before that with uh, Lakeith Stanfield, I forget his character's name in this, um, but he's the first character that we see on screen. And it's uh, this 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 long tracking shot that, you know, it actually reminded me a bit of the the opening shot of It Follows. Um, we're, we're following Lakeith Stanfield, who great, like love to see him in, in everything, was was a little worried that. You know, he might not make it past the first scene of this. Um, spoilers, he does. And I'm, it, it's all the better for it. But just the way that he reacts, he's just walking down a street and car passes by and then pulls back around. And his reaction is just as simple like, nope, not happening to me today. I'm just going to avoid conflict. Go the other way. Look, every every character in this movie is really aware and smart and has their guard up and is doing what they can to stay out of a bad situation. They're always doing something smart. And in horror movies, you frequently have people making dumb decisions yeah. of going into where they shouldn't be going or not looking around or whatever. But the, these characters are all, uh, for lack of a better word, they're all woke. They're all aware. They, they all know. As the, uh, as the opening song Redbone uh, lets us know. Yeah, which, look, I watched an interview with uh, Peel that said that he picked that song because the chorus said stay woke. And 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 my point here is that it's not, you know, it, it's not trying to be just easy low hanging fruit. It's not trying to be it's not, you know, it's it's trying to be a conversation. It's not trying to be uh divisive or trying to say like, "Oh, hey, we as, you know, I as a black man feel that I am totally wronged and so it, it's just Please try to understand what it feels like to be me. And he, I, I love the way that he ta- he basically takes that little nugget of an idea and says, "How can I translate this?" And because of his comedy background, because of his background in you know taking taking a cultural issue and then wrapping it in like a comedy sketch, I think that honestly gave him the ability to do what he does here so well because he's used to saying, okay, this big idea, how do I wrap it in something else that people can relate to and understand and will then provide a uh, an easy entryway to this perspective that may be difficult or maybe even just feel a little too forced if you um, if you were to just I mean, it it runs the risk of feeling like crash if you do it wrong. But he did it with the mastery of like a Hitchcock film. Yeah, it, it doesn't even it doesn't even make sense. Where where did where did he even come from? Has he been directing a, a film a month for the past ten years in his basement? <laughs> like how how did he get so good at this so fast? It, it it takes this the, the same nugget that a Hitchcock film takes of like oh it's kind of creepy to stay at a hotel. What if what if you saw a murder out of a window? Mm-hmm. It takes that same little nugget and build such a good film around it yeah but i i mean i think has a the the thing that it, i think it does better like hitchcock is pure entertainment is pure like his goal is to terrify you and i think i think peel here is trying to terrify you but then also trying to give you an empathetic experience um which is just like as as the movie goes on and as things get deeper and deeper um, it, it goes far beyond what I ever could have even imagined the sort of twist, which isn't even really a twist. It's just sort of a, a matter of, you know, the genre taking its course, 
uh, that, that was really great. And I, I think maybe this is the point we let's go ahead and roll spoilers um, at this point. And then if you if you haven't seen the film yet, you can skip ahead to the beer pairing or to um, the rest of the show. Check the show notes for uh, for times on that and uh, roll spoilers. So what were you were you were talking earlier about some maybe spoilery lines of, of dialogue that look so I, I, I go I go back and I'm just thinking about the movie and I'm like that that's that was a weird like some of this stuff he did early in the film was just setting up the creepiness like when he looked at that picture on the wall and said oh my 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 grandpa almost made the Olympics when Jesse Owens mm-hmm. beat him out and went and, and and you know ran in front of Hitler and then he was like he almost got over it yeah. And, and I was thinking like, oh, this is just showing like maybe a dislike of of black people, but it it wasn't. It what it well, was it was it was saying like what drove the grandpa to start this whole thing to begin or the dad to start this thing to begin with. Yeah, but I I think it's even more than that. I mean, I think there there is a generational uh, thing going on here that sort of each because okay, so Walter, who is the black groundskeeper, uh, we discover is actually uh, Rose's grandfather who. Um, you know, almost uh, ran again or ran against Jesse Owens, almost made it to the Olympics. Um, but there is a little like, do you remember that interaction that they have where Chris goes out at night and then uh, Walter comes up to him and says something kind of a little creepy or a little, or maybe it's after the night when he sees him running. But then he, uh, Chris has a conversation with Rose later that says, you know, I, I'm not so sure about Walter. Dude just has a whole hostile vibe to him. Mm-hmm. And I I wonder if, you know, in, in hindsight, I wonder if like, oh, well, maybe that's he still has this even if he was progressive for his time, he still has this racism in him that he just, you know, that that's part of. I, I don't I didn't find any of these characters really had a dislike, like an open dislike for black people. Well, because no, not the but you you think about so the, the parents, they are of the age where they would be, you know past the um uh past civil rights movement and and that sort of thing so they are you know i what i what i'm saying is i think if you were to talk to the grandfather in his time he'd be like oh yeah i you know i'm i'm really all about civil liberties and i'm all about but he still has this this deep thing that that's complicated and oh and, it's, and that's it's definitely complicated and, and that's and what so, he, peel is doing that is so good is he's he's saying okay like I mean, because the basic message of this is not like, oh, hey, look out, there's racist people everywhere. It's, oh, hey, maybe you think you are being progressive, you think you're helping, but you're actually, you're still subjugating me by, you know, trying to put me in a box as like your black friend or or look, I, I took it, it is. even different way. I took it in that uh, to go back to Childish Gambino uh, off his new album. There's that song Zombies where it says we're eating you for profit. Mm-hmm. And there is no way to stop mm-hmm. it. Uh, it took it more like that to me. It's like these people saw the good in black people. 
But mm-hmm. to them, they saw it as all things that they could take advantage of. Oh, if we could get that speed, if we could get the dark skin or the muscles or the golf shot or all these things that they're talking about yeah. uh, in that scene where he's being paraded around all these white families. If we could get that, we could use it. We could take them. We don't even we don't need the black person. We just need the benefits of the black person. And it seemed like an allegory for, you know, political like either uh, politicians taking advantage of it mm-hmm. or record producers taking advantage of black culture. It seems like it's about appropriation, cultural appropriation, or about just not letting black people uh, maybe, you know, represent themselves in all of these things, but just being used by these white people. Well, it's, and it's sort of co-opting their culture, but not in a malicious way, in a, in a way that, you know, they don't even realize that, uh, they don't, they, they think they are being kind and gracious. They think they are being inclusive. Um, but and, they're and they would, also, they would say, they would say, I'm not racist. I, yeah. We all want to be black. We're yeah. making ourselves black through surgery. We're not racist when obviously they, they don't care about the black people in this movie because they're trapping them inside their brain forever. Right. It, and and it, it, I just, I'm I'm really excited to watch this again. One because I think there's so many things you're going to read differently a second time, like knowing everything that um, that that goes on. But I think there's also like like you were saying with the dialogue, there's so many things that can be read a couple of ways and that are intended to be a couple of ways. Um, that's that's what's so sharp about this. That's what's so like it's it is a uh, like on on the surface it functions perfectly well as a this little psychological horror thriller thing, but there's just so much meat under the surface to also analyze and look at and, um, and, and dive into. I think anyone could have wrote this movie up until the halfway point when the reveal happens. And then when the reveal happens, everybody's in white sheets and it's a clan rally and they just openly hate black people and they were luring them in and they want to kill them. That would have been an easy movie to write. But what Jordan Peele did is he wrote a movie that has such a nuanced point to it, saying it in such a intelligent way while still being so, so entertaining the entire time. It, I, I was I was blown away by this movie. Well, and I kept kind of my expectation of what because, you know, something's up, you know, something's coming. Well, you my mean, expectation because of that opening that is, scene, we see it right in the opening scene. Someone gets kidnapped. So it's not. A we get to the end and it was nothing. Right. But but also, you know, just with the way the the movie has been sold and, you know, marketing going into it, you you know, something's going to. Yeah. And then and then also with from the minute you see the caretakers, you know, something is off and awkward, but it's sort of that he gives you just enough to kind of begin to piece things together. But the more information you get, the more difficult it is to exactly nail down. And, uh, so, you know, for, for a while I was thinking, oh, maybe they're actually collecting, like they, they admire, they almost admire black people as widgets where it's like, oh, you're very fast. You're very creative. You're very fill in the blank. I want a, I want one of my own. That is that, um, I I thought it was a slave story. I thought they were hypnotizing them to be slaves. So they, they they are like like literally zombies. It's It's a, okay. Um, yeah, well, that, and, that's and, what I, that's what I, where I was when we saw, um, the Andrew character, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character yeah, show yeah. back up. I thought they had hypnotized him. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, which, you know, cause we had already seen hypnotism by that point. Right. I did not realize that they were becoming these black people. 
I, I, well, and that's, that's the thing that like, I, I just could not have predicted it going in that direction. And that's, that's a thing that, you know, when I was talking about when he sets something up, he sets it up, you know, several degrees beyond what you would expect or several, several actions beyond, uh, you know, yeah, so, so what you generally get. You think you're watching a real, you think you're watching a really smart, funny scene. He's being brought around to all these white people who are like, how's your golf shot? Oh, your arms are strong. How, how, is it true what they say about uh, in bed? And yeah. um, uh, for a few hundred years, light skin has been in fashion. But, and you think this is some subtle racist crap. And these I don't know. These I don't people, even know. How, well, subtle. Yeah. Su- subtle as far as like they're not they're not throwing around. You know, they're not they're not openly being mean. Yeah, but but it is but obvious that they it's it's it is, you know, baby boomer casual racism. Yes. And then you see later you think back on it and you think, oh, no, that was basically an auction. The the bingo thing was an auction. Yeah, and yeah. These people were trying to figure out literally how is your golf shot? Because I want it. Yeah, they're sizing they're sizing him up to see what they can if he if he is the one that they want. Yes, because they want to own him, which actually brings me to maybe my biggest complaint about this movie. And that's the fact that Chris is this great uh, professional photographer. And, you know, he goes around with his camera shooting stuff uh, throughout the, the movie. He's he's walking around with a Canon 7D and a what looks like it's maybe a kit lens, um, which I know this is super nitpicky, but like, dude, dude's, dude's going to have a 5D Mark three, Mark four, at least maybe you're right. I hate this movie now, Chris, <laughs> maybe give him this movie's garbage. Take back everything. I said, maybe give him a Leica. Um, it, you know, it's, <laughs> it's a, it's a small little, but it's like, it, that's the type of thing that would in a, in another movie in a, in a movie that's just doing like the base of this, um, would would be like oh yeah whatever it's you know it's it's a one dimensional sort of sort of thing but here like I almost it almost hurt me more just because it's like oh you got you got so much right other than this I mean it's fine it doesn't it doesn't destroy the movie for me but it does stick out talking about him being a photographer Stephen Root's character is like you have a great eye mm-hmm. uh, for that and I when I was first piecing it together I was like oh okay so. He like commissioned Rose to go out and find him because he was a photographer. Yeah. But it was it ended up being the other way around. There must have been like a bulletin or like a group email going out like, here's the new guy. It's Chris. Here's some things about him. Mm-hmm. And then they all went and researched Chris beforehand. Yeah. And then they all came just to see Chris, just to bid on Chris. It's it's really like it's really an uneasy thing to like even more to go back and dwell on i think than than like in the moment he wrote it so well that it, it it hints at all that stuff without showing it yeah it it doesn't show it but you fill in the blanks eventually in your head because it's there yeah it, it, he obviously knew these facts about this universe when he wrote this story yeah the honestly the only other thing that that bugs me other than the microsoft product placement which is like I, get I didn't it. notice it. What what was it? Oh, really? Like everything. Everyone's either like instead of laptops, they all have Surface Pros, and then like his phone, Chris's phone is a Windows phone. There's there's a lot of uh, blatant Microsoft placement. I didn't um, notice it, but it does explain why I pre-ordered six Surface Pros when I got home. <laughs> so I mean, <laughs> Catherine Keener actually uh, put you in a trance, um, but but the the fact that the flash breaks the trance. Was seems like a bit of a a goofy mechanic. I get why it's there. Um, I, 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 I would have complained more if this the first scene where it happened 
wasn't such a real moment thrown into that situation. Yeah. Like, did, did you notice that he kind of had Westworld eyes, like Westworld the movie eyes, whenever he comes <laughs> a, out of it? Like they're they're kind a of little bit. glazed over and shiny and then and then you see them come clear when he when he comes back for a moment. Uh I I, I did notice that, but man, that I I am I'm a hater on a lot of movies. You know this, Chris. If people if people generally like a movie, I have this really bad habit of coming out and poking ho- holes in every single thing about. Oh, it. like Logan. <laughs> yeah, sure, like Logan. Like I did to The Dark Knight when I saw it, to be honest. Uh Or The Departed. And also also to The Dark Knight Rises, which I was right about that one time told. Um but this one I came out and th- this is this is what I like about the movies. This is basically everything I like about the movies. Spoilers are done. Spoilers are done. Turns out Rosebud was only a sled. Kylo Ren's dad is totally dead. Noah Cross was Mulray's baby daddy. And also her regular dad. Spoilers are done. We'll finish spoilers are done. So, Chris, when the Midnight Warriors sit down to watch Get Out, do you have a beer recommendation that'll put everybody in a trance? Uh, well, actually, I was I was going to go with Old Rasputin by North Coast Brewing, uh, but I realized that I already used which which would be perfect for putting them in a trance. But I realized I already already used that a while back for the Revenant for obvious reasons because the man wouldn't die. Um, so <laughs> I've got something else for Get Out that. Uh, is it doesn't have quite as many connections, but I think it's a quite good beer. Uh, one that I haven't recommended here on the show before. Um, and it's, you know, we're still, we're getting into spring, but I'm, I'm going to milk this, uh, you know, my, my stout run for as, as long as I can. Uh, I'm going to go with a Russian Imperial stout from Tallgrass Brewing Company in Manhattan, Kansas this time. And it is called Big Rick. Um, and this is a, it's a nice, it's a really, nice solid entry you know in in the in the style um it has a bit of a coffee flavor to it but uh really sort of the the thing that i like about it is that it has a little smokiness a little peatiness to it um that you get a lot with with uh the russian imperials um it it's clocking in at 10.5% so you know how i like my my high point um my high point beers. So it, it, it checks that off and it's a, you know, it pours very, very dark. It has a nice sort of like amber head to it, but still also very complex. It has, um, it has a decent bitterness to it as well. So it balances out, you know, the, um, the rich, dark, roasty, uh, flavors, you know, the, the coffee and the, and the, and the smokiness with a little bit of, you know, um, hoppy bitterness on the back end also. Uh, so just a really well-rounded beer. Um, that is Big Rick from Tallgrass Brewing Company. Uh, do you suggest that uh, people drink it out of a tiny uh, tea glass, teacup? <laughs> I suggest you drink it out of the can because the art on the can is incredible. It's this uh, this rather large man on a motorcycle with, he's just wearing like a uh, a sleeveless undershirt and a cape and he's <laughs> ramping uh, ramping the motorcycle in the air. It's uh, it's quite beautiful. I'm I'm just afraid that uh, if if they drink something with such a high point that people are going to have trouble staying woke during the movie. Uh, 
Oh, God, this is terrible. Get Out is currently playing at movie theaters nationwide. Have you seen it? Tell us your thoughts at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if email isn't your thing, we'd still love to hear from you. Ring the red phone and leave us a voicemail at 484-424-6362. That's 484-4CINEMA. Stick around. We'll be back after the break with the end of season fantasy movie roundup and award ceremony. If you want to stay out, you run. To our end of season fantasy movie roundup and award ceremony, where we hand out those cool little Golden Warrior awards to every single winner. I think you mean where we hand out one award to a single winner, Jake. The Golden Statuettes are actually just uh, hypothetical. Right. Uh, the Cineplex with the most money for the season will earn that beautiful white championship mug, even if it's just begging to find a place on my desk. Never going to happen. If you have the most profitable Cineplex, you'll be the one to sip your caffeinated coffee out of a ceramic championship cup. So first, as Master of Ceremonies, I believe it's my responsibility to remind any first-time listeners of what exactly is a fantasy movie league. Each week, Chris and I compete with you, the listeners, in a fantasy sports-style game to best spend a thousand imaginary bucks to fill a virtual eight-screen Cineplex with real-world movies where the weekend box office determines the winner. If you aren't already playing along, now's the perfect time to join. The new spring season started on February 27th, but it's never too late to sign up. And next year, it could be you sipping from that magnificent mug. Visit WSAMPod.com slash Fantasy Movie League to join in and get all the details. Yeah, please join. It's a whole lot of fun. And we we love competing with you and and chatting with you. And uh, even if you're uh, terrible at this like I am, I think you'll enjoy it. And, And who knows? Chris may have even won an award this season. We'll have to see. But our first award of the day is the Glengarry Glenn Ross ABC Award for Most Wins. ABC meaning always be cineplexing. (laughs) Always best cineplex. Something like that. Like I said, I didn't really pay attention during that movie. Uh, (laughs) And it's our first repeat award winner uh, ever. So last season, this went to film school dropout who dominated our league with four wins on the season. And this year, she repeated her victory now as cineplex OPC Where Art Thou? Uh, with two outright wins and four other ties for first. If you're counting, that's a tie in week two where she got perfect Cineplex, week six perfect Cineplex, outright win in week eight, tie in week 11, tie in week 12, and a tie in week 13 for perfect Cineplex. She dominates our league. Yeah, I know. There's a reason I've said before she should be the one writing my weekly roundup article or at least a really good post on the FML message boards every week. It would be nice. Be real nice. Really, I, I don't know how she's getting these great Cineplexes week after week. I assume she's just smarter than all of us, but please share 
your knowledge. I, I know she's just smarter than all of us. Um, coming up next, we've got the Theo Kretschmar Shurov Memorial Award for Excellence in Cinematic Moniker. Uh, there were a lot of great names once again this season. Uh, a few of my favorites, Calvin Klein's Life Preserver Emporium, a carryover from last season, but I'm totally cool with that because you got robbed last season. Uh, the Monarch Theater, which is a great nod to Batman. And of course, Son, You Got a Penny on Your Head, which is a great nod to Raising Arizona, even if it is my own name. Uh, that may have been my pick, Chris. Uh, but the real winner here, and I know you're just trying to be polite and not having to say this on the podcast, but I don't mind. The real winner here is Lick Derod Real Good Theaters. It, it's not a real world cineplex I would even want to be in the same part of town with. But here in Midnight Warrior Land, you're getting the Golden Warrior. So congrats to Josh Falgu, a.k.a. Mr. Real Good. I, you, just, you just really wanted to say that on, on the air. That's fine. Moving on. Lick the rod real good. Hey, I, I got to read what the script says. I don't write them. I, I did write this script. I, I picked this award winner. It, it, it was all me. I wanted to say it on the podcast. What do we have next? Uh, the Henry Rowan Gardner Award for Best Rookie of the Year. This award is given to the Cineplex with the highest season total for their first year in Fantasy Movie League. And this award goes out to Chase Andrew Beasley's Cineplex. All one word. Uh, with just over a billion dollars in gross and a seventh place overall finish. Uh, congratulations, whoever you are, you mysterious Chase Andrew Beasley. Um, great job. I'm pretty sure you beat me. Uh, I think he did. Uh, but if you're listening and you aren't playing yet, this is the award you should be aiming to grab next season. However, it will be hard as we have opened up the War Starts at Midnight League to all of FML. Uh, but we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit at the end. Next up, we've got the Occam's Razor Award. Sometimes the simplest solution is the best solution. Jake is often guilty of going with the simplest Cineplex as he loves to stack those $2 million Best Picture bonuses. In week nine, he went with his heart and played seven screens of La La Land and one of Sing. That was good for an eighth place finish, but another simple Cineplex won it all. School of Rock's perfect Cineplex performance of Six a Dog's Purpose, One the Founder, and a Blank Screen. But that wasn't good enough to earn a Golden Warrior. Chase Andrew Beasley's Cineplex was good enough for ninth place in week 13 with the following lineup. Eight screens of John Wick. That's it. That's the whole thing. Uh, and it earned $74 million. It wasn't a stellar performance for the week, and it wasn't a winner. But we won't fault our reigning rookie of the year for dropping an 8x on the last week of the season. Very bold. Very much so. So one award we're going to be retiring after this season is our biggest blowout award. Uh, so this season, all of our players were so strong that there were no real blowouts. In fact, the biggest margin of victory in a week was week nine, when School of Rock's aforementioned six screens of a dog's purpose lineup earned perfect Cineplex and a $5 million bonus. This still only put him $5.5 million ahead of OPC Where Art Thou. Uh, so he still only barely beat her out uh, if you don't take the bonus into account. So this is tiny compared to last season's $21 million gap. Uh, so it looks like our strong play as a league has made us outgrow this award. I don't know. It, it could also be the fact that it, it was the award season and a lot of, you know, big performers know, you know, you weren't going to have something like a boo or, you know, something like that that comes seemingly out of nowhere and does buku's more than everything else in, in perspective, obviously. Buku does buku uh -huh, more. Uh-huh. Um, uh -huh. it, it was, you know, and, and, you know, it was within, within perspective of, of everything, but, uh, I, I think, you know, we'll see what happens in, you, you might be eating your hat, 
Um, we'll see what happens in this spring season because, you know, we're sort of in the doldrums of before everything starts ramping up for summer. So maybe Chris, Chris, we got a bunch, much bigger group of people this spring. And, uh, I got a feeling a lot of them are going to be way up bunched at the top. Okay. It's going to be hard to get a blowout. Okay, fine. But I think we should add an award. Let's replace the biggest blowout with the tooth skin award for the smallest margin of victory. By the skin of your teeth. Mm-hmm. It, uh-huh. In week seven, friend of the show, Drew Allen, managed to take his Cineplex, bury me with my movies, to a $1.1 million edge over scruffy-looking Nerf Herder when they both trusted fake movie Monster Trucks to bring them to victory. You, you know, when Monster Trucks comes on Netflix, I'm watching the damn thing. Nah. We, we've talked about it so much. I'm putting it on while I eat my lunch and halfway pay attention. If, if someone like Waking Life rotoscopes it into an animated movie, I'll watch it then. So for our next award, uh, it's Most Improved Player. So this year, we had one player shoot from 12th place last season, which was you know relatively low because our league was smaller, to a strong 5th place finish for this year. And so we want to issue a hearty congratulations to Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My PC. Hey, Jake, are you uh, going to sing to her? Uh, are you, you going to make me do this? I mean, I could just roll the recording when you sing as Mad Max. Uh, you could. Or I could just go, Do Not Forsake Me, Oh My PC. <laughs> nice. On this mod premiere day. <laughs> what would be really good is if I sang that after every award for this whole thing. So it was really the full high noon experience. Right. You know, a bit of a tangent here, but at some point I think we should do a civil war uh, battle between high noon and Rio Bravo. Okay, you go find me somebody who likes High Noon better than Rio Bravo, and, and we can I, we can not, team up on it. I'm not saying I'm saying I think there are things. I think it would still be a competitive uh, a competitive review. High Noon's a pretty damn good movie. It's no, it's and, a, and I really like High Noon. I do, but it, it's just some love for Rio Bravo. Let's save that for that episode. Okay. All right. So finally, the big award, the Most Valuable Projectionist Award. Our MVP is given to the Cineplex owner who performs best over the course of a season. If you've been listening, reading our articles, or chatting with us in the FML Google Hangout, you know who's going to get this award. Finishing outside of the top three only three times this season, and one of those times was in fourth place, this player has put up quality lineups week in and week out. He was able to beat last season's champ by... $4,948,002. That is less than one perfect Cineplex bonus. That means if, in week nine, OPC had played her filler screen as the founder instead of Manchester by the Sea, she'd be getting her second straight mug and eternal bragging rights. But that's not what happened. So instead, we have to congratulate first-time winner School of Rock as our MVP. So congrats, Phil. Congratulations, Mr. Schneebly. Uh, for some reason, I thought his name was Dewey Finn, not Schneebly. I, I, that, that, I don't know. I don't know. That's how he introduced himself to me when he started teaching me guitar. And speaking of names, a tradition we have here at War Starts at Midnight is to pick new names at the start of each season because, well, let's face it, that's one of the most fun parts of fantasy sports. Last season, I declared myself the evil villain of our FML League and sought to fight all comers as Cineplex Luthor. This season... I changed my mind, and I have one and only one foe, the School of Rock. For that reason, I'm declaring my Cineplex be named No Vacancy, a.k.a. the band that took down School of Rock, rightfully, in the Battle of the Bands. <laughs> wow. I didn't, even, I, I didn't even recognize. I thought you were just not going to play any blank screens. 
Although you also no, no. cannot play blank screens now, I feel. Uh, I, I don't know. The main thing I want to do is that dance that their bassist, whose name is Spider, by the mm-hmm. way, does during his song when it's like, just hear me, I'm hot sick. I know you guys can't see me doing my little dance, but I'm kind of spinning in a circle and swinging my hips. Yeah, if you, vaguely Axl Rose. If, if you ever win a week... That needs to happen. I need we need we need a video of this and a gif of this and I, I gotta get a little half jacket with no front on it to wear and a, a bunch of tattoos and hit on Joan Cusack. There's a lot of things that have to happen. Joan Cusack's in that movie? Yeah, yeah, she's principal. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, I guess I can't. I, I know you've seen it, that. but I still want to make it a war crime. I still want to just watch it's, it again. It's not a war crime, it's a fine movie. Whoa. Okay, we're gonna have to have Phil on this podcast to defend no, it because it is his favorite. Only, movie. only if it's civil war between that and Orange County. Uh, no competition, no competition. School of Rock. Okay, so in other news, we have opened up our league to wider competition, putting out an APB on the FML Chatter. On the bright side, it worked, and we now have fifty-five people in our league. On the other hand, yeah. On the other hand, we have last season's champ, uh, Aarco, Erico, Erico, in our league. Yeah, and, and and by last season champ, I do mean the overall season winner amongst all week one starters. Way to go, Jake. Way to go. Well, we're we're growing the Midnight Warrior Clan by by getting our name out there. But but yeah, it, it also means we're gonna have some stiffer competition for longtime listeners. We do have a, a another group that we we shared out so we can keep track of a. Just just our core group that's been playing for so long. Yeah, if you want to join that league, hit us up on Facebook, Twitter, email, whatever, and we'll send you an invite to it. But for all of us, we're just going to really need to step up our FML game. And the best way to do that is to catch my weekly recaps and predictions each week on the War Starts at Midnight blog. And if you've got a hot take for the next Perfect Cineplex, hit us up on Facebook or Twitter at WSAMPod. Stick around for our really rad recommendations coming up next. Right, Jake, it is really rad recommendation time. Once again, what do you got this week? All right, so I actually picked two, one kind of mainstream and one a little uh, little less mainstream. First off, uh, I thought about movies where the main character kind of uncovers a little conspiracy going on in the horror action thriller kind of genre. Uh, more action than anything, but I'm going with Edgar Wright's Hot Fuzz for its 10th anniversary. This movie starring Simon Pegg and Nick Frost tells the story of Sergeant Nicholas Angel, who 
moves from London to a small town in the English countryside. Uh, you've all seen this movie. Probably if you listen to this, you've seen it. Go and watch it again. It's fantastic. Uh, it recently made, made Reddit's top 250. Uh, Reddit slash r slash movies top 250, which I thought was interesting that it was ranked above Shaun of the Dead, which is also wrong because Shaun of the Dead is a better film. But Hot Fuzz is fantastic. Do go and watch it. If you want something you maybe haven't seen yet, uh, try Eyes Without a Face. It's a horror movie. It's uh, on Criterion. And it is about a girl who's trapped in a house and they're going to perform some unwilling surgery on her. And you can probably guess what body parts it is based on the title of the film. But also worth seeing and available on Filmstruck. Uh, Hot Fuzz is available on Netflix and available to rent everywhere. Eyes Without a Face, much better than its sequel, Hips Without a Butt. <laughs> is that the Taylor Swift documentary? <laughs> oh, uh, throwing shade. Jake, I'll be honest. Um, I'm I, Hot Fuzz, is, and I don't hate it, but it's my least favorite Edgar Wright film. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. By like, by a lot. Like, I like what it's doing with the, you know, buddy action tropes. I just feel like it gets a little weird by the third act and not in a like, it. It's good. It's fun, but I think he does. He does a lot. Uh, he, it, it's tough to compete with basically everything else he's made. Look, you you wouldn't be bad going with the world's end either. It's a body swapping horror spoof. Yeah. Uh, which you know also relates to this one. I kind of debated back and forth. I settled on a Hot Fuzz because it's the tenth anniversary, and I do really like it. And it did get better on repeat viewings. Uh, Shaun of the Dead is a better film. Sorry, Reddit. Uh, so Chris, what, what do you have for us this week? Uh, I'm going to recommend Donald Glover's television show Atlanta, which aired last fall, um, 10 episodes for the first season. It's absolutely great. It's, it's sort of, I, it's sort of difficult to, to define. Um, I guess you could kind of say as far as, uh, approach, it kind of reminds me of Louis CK's Louis a little bit, just in the fact that it's constantly sort of changing from episode to episode. You know, uh, it has these main characters that stick in it throughout. Um, but, uh, it kind of takes on different genres or, or will focus in on a specific character, you know, maybe a lesser character, um, for an episode or decide to just totally change up the format for, for a whole episode. Uh, Glover, he is the creator of the show. He also, um, I believe wrote every episode and stars as Ern, who is a, Ivy League college dropout who has come back home and is now sort of in a dead end job and decides he wants to try managing his rapper slash drug dealer cousin. And that's that's sort of the jumping off point for the story. But it's um, but it's as much about sort of exploring, um, you know, just exploring characters, exploring black identity um, as as it is, you know, finding any plot in it. Uh, Lakeith Stanfield, who we mentioned in get out, um, is in this, he's great. He's probably my favorite part, um, of, of the show. Actually, he's, he's Paperboy's sort of like sidekick. And, uh, I think there's, there's actually an episode towards the end of the season. I think it's the second to last called Juneteenth that there's a character in that, uh, in that episode that, and you'll know him when you, when you see him that I feel could have very easily fell into the, you know, the weird party, um, people in get out. Um, that, that was sort of what got, got my mind going about this, but it's, it's a great, great fresh show. I mean, in, in a time where we're at, you know, everyone's saying, Oh, we're at, we're at peak TV. There's too much TV. This is something that really stands out and that, 
um, feels so timely and fresh and original. And, you know, it's not just another, it's not just another like Pete Holmes show where it's like, Oh, a a comedian gets a show about being a comedian. Um, it's, it's doing so much that nothing else is doing. Um, show airs on FX. It's out of season right now, but you can buy it on Amazon, Voodoo, iTunes, uh, Google play, you know, basically anywhere that you can buy TV. So, so I just want to say something. I love Donald Glover. He's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, confession number one, I haven't seen any of this show. None of it. Why not? I don't have cable. Ew. That's basically the whole reason. I really want to. I'm super excited to see it. I just want it to show up somewhere. I just got to bite the bullet and buy it. Number two, mentally, my entire brain shut off and I didn't hear a single word you said during that on purpose. I just created white noise inside <laughs> my head because I don't want to know anything. I mean, there's, about it. but the, I don't want to know. That's, that's the thing, thing is there's no way to, there's, I mean, it's, it is a bizarre and fun and really emotional and, well, like it, I, I think it balances everything that Donald Glover does well, which is a lot of things all together really perfectly. He, he creates his own little world. That's it's, it's almost Lynchian in some ways in like, it has these rules that are never explained, but you just accept them. Like they, they present them and you're like, okay, that a guy can have an invisible car. Sorry. That was all white noise again, dude. I, I'm, I'm not <laughs> listening to any of this. It's just not happening. <laughs> All right. Well, check it out, Jake. And actually, I think right now on Google Play, you can get a television series for half off. So I think you can grab this whole thing for like 10 bucks. Yep. That sounds like something that's going to happen. Do it. Okay. Well, that is a wrap for another episode of War Starts at Midnight. Find us online at warstartsatmidnight.com for show notes, fantasy movie league recaps, and more. Or say hello on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WSAMPod. If you enjoy the show, rate and subscribe to it in iTunes or wherever you get the podcast. It'll help us grow the Midnight Warrior Clan, and it'll make you feel awesome. On the other hand, if you're the trolling type who simply hate listening through these credits, go ahead and tell us everything we got wrong at hello at warstartsatmidnight.com. Or if you're a narcissist, you can leave us a voicemail and see if we play it. Just ring that bright red telephone at 484-424-6362. The War Starts at Midnight theme song was produced by Justin Streck. The Spoiler Alert theme song is by The Taylor Machine. Check them out at facebook.com slash The Taylor Machine. And shout out to Generationals for the featured music on this week's show. Find spring tour dates, music, and more at generationals.com. Kong Skull Island is out in wide release this weekend, but instead of discussing the creature features starring a whole bunch of pretty people, we're taking the opportunity to review a classic that Kong appears to be aesthetically aping. Join us in another fortnight for a discussion of Jake's war crime, Apocalypse Now. Thanks for listening, folks. Behold the coagula. Sort of long tracking shot reminded me actually a little bit of the the opening of um, shit Detroit Walk City. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, the uh, it, it follows. follows. Um, <laughs> <laughs>